Hi, this is Fostered Hope, and I'm your host, Jordan Huffman. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ryan Henry, a foster parent from West Virginia, about his experience fostering and adopting four little boys, and I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Yep, so uh, my name's Ryan Henry, and I um, I work for Department of Treasuries, my primary job. I'm also in the National Guard, and then I do real estate as well. And we have four kids, so if the jobs didn't keep me busy enough, the kids definitely do that. Um, we're constantly <laughs> running for them nonstop, and I love it. I It's exhausting, but uh, the enjoyment that I get out of seeing how happy they are getting to do everything makes it worth it so a lack of sleep makes it worth it to see their enjoyment (laughs) yes so are you still doing the the same job you were doing when mom worked with you or have you like changed up a little bit yeah no i now i do financial systems analyst so i deal with the main like treasury monthly treasury statement the building of that the application that actually builds that that's the application that i administer so um, I do modifications to it and testing of the system to make sure that uh, all the accounting strings are balancing out accurately and allocated to the right um, accounts that they need associated to. So okay, I liked what I did better when I worked with your mom. Yeah. <laughs> are you doing that all remote now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my area actually um, after COVID, um, so they all, we have to go in one day a pay period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously that helps out a lot with the kids too, just because I have flexibility for that. So, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't actually went back in the office yet because, um, since the adoption was finalized July 11th, the government actually pays me like paternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I got 12 weeks of leave for the kids, um, which was nice because, you know, getting the socials changed, name changed, birth certificates, blah, 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 all those appointments. Um, really was nice to have the extra time to do that, plus just to spend more with them. Although now I'm questioning how I ever worked a full-time job before because <laughs> right. I'm like, how did I ever get, to, how did I fit in work on top of all yeah. of this? Stuff? So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome though. I didn't know that they would do that, but I'm, I'm glad that they did. Yeah, I know. I didn't either, actually. I was really shocked, but, and I guess it's like in all cases, I mean, you know, even if it was uh, my biological children, like father and mother, so like there's spou- lots of spouses that work at Treasury. Mm-hmm. And so like the wife will take her first 12 weeks off and then the husband will get to take 12 weeks off. So, I mean, that's a lot of time wow. you get to spend with your newborn or a new yeah. child and your family. So that yeah, it's awesome. a great, great program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mom had talked to you, but I'm just like struggling to figure out like what I want to do. And uh-huh. um, so I just like, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I had called her and we were just talking about, I don't even know. And then I was just like, I don't know. I'm so stressed. Like, I don't know what I, I don't yeah. know what I want to do. Like, it's stressful. It's super yeah. stressful. I, I sit back and think like, that's why I, so I didn't go to college. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think I took one semester of college right after high school, mm-hmm. but you know, I had met Jesse and I was, I was young. And so like, I was just ready to live my life. And I thought I wanted to be a nurse. So when I was 18, I got, I started at the hospital as patient care tech. Mm -hmm. And I loved that side of work, but I still just wasn't ready to commit to a career. I mean, you're so young. How can you decide on a career? You know, so yeah. So I didn't even actually start back to college till I think I was 22, maybe 23, I think before I actually was like, okay. And that was only because, I mean, I, I've been at the hospital. I loved working at the hospital. Mm -hmm. 
And, but at that point I just finally looked at Jesse and I was like, look, I want more out of life. The only way to do that is to go to school. Like I still remember the conversation we were sitting on the front porch, just him and I, and I was like, I've got to do something. And he's like, we can go back to school. And I was like, okay. So I signed up and uh, the next day I signed up and then I started Mm -hmm. classes because it was right before semester started, uh, Mm -hmm. fall semester. And I started in classes right away and never stopped Mm -hmm. and got both my undergrads. But unfortunately that piece of paper, that degree can get you it's yeah. into a lot. It is. It's crazy. Which I so my dissert my my dissertation was actually on um, advocating why if education was as important as it's stressed to be. Mm-hmm. Which my professors were all like, "Are you sure you want to do your paper on that?" But then after I did the paper, they were actually kind of impressed, just because my mom was my role model, and she had a really great job. Um, she worked at People's Bank, and she, you know she just been there. Well, she had been there like thirty years, and then mm-hmm. now she works at Treasury. But she, she dedicated her job to People's Bank and like all of her time and her hours and she had a great career, but she had no education, you know, she just taught herself. She started in there when she was young and she grew her way up into management. I mean, she was an associate VP and she had no degree, but it's just because, I mean, and and yes, a degree is important. It shows your structure and your ability to learn. So I do get it. But as far as to learn the specifics of a job, you're never going to know that. Like people could come out of school with a bachelor's degree or even a master's and start into the job she's doing and they're not going to have the knowledge she had then. Right, exactly. That was kind of what I based it off of because it definitely shows that you're teachable, but it does not teach you. Right, exactly. I I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my first two years of college, you know, I'm just regurgitating information. Like I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. the stuff that I learned. Yeah, no. And no. when I go out, like I was talking to mom the other week and I was like, I just, cause I'm in digital media communication. So like that uh-huh. could be anything, anything. Right. And, right. um, I was just like, I, I'm so stressed. Like, how am I going to get a good job? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and she was like, well, you'll figure it out. And so yeah. she is thinking about looking into jobs, like, you know, in mm-hmm. kind of like where you guys work. And so that might be yeah. a starting off point. Yeah, absolutely. And branch out from there. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like, I love my job and I'm very fortunate to have it and such, but Mm -hmm. it's not me. Like, it's me because I I like it and all, but I I really miss my personal interaction. Right. And like even phone calls and stuff because I'm on the phone all day long, but it's Mm -hmm. conference calls about so many things that aren't even pertinent to me that maybe one minute of the 45 minute conversation actually applies to what I'm doing and affecting. Right. And it's just, I don't know. I just need something that lets me be more me and social and I can see the effect of, I think that's why I love my job at the hospital because I got to see what I was affecting. You know what I'm saying? Like I could see the change. I could feel the importance. I could feel the importance of what I was doing and was working with the government. It's just, you don't really feel that because it's such a bigger picture. Right. Like, yes, it's affecting something, but no one knows who I am. (laughs) Not that that's important, but you know. Right. 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 You feel like your connections aren't as genuine as that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I told like mom's had this job uh, since I could remember. I know that she, you know, always didn't have this job, but I just yeah. all growing up, I've you know gone to take your kid to work day, and I was like, I'll never do what you do. I don't want to do this, right. but you know, I'll probably <laughs> end up going into something similar. You know, yeah, yeah, because that is the adult career world. I right. mean, honestly, it is just less personable, and there are there are jobs that can still be like that. It's right. just they're not always as frequently to come, or, you know, easily to come by. Exactly, so. and I'm sure you get 
you know, more of that connection and that satisfaction out of your real estate. How did your um, showing go tonight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it went really good tonight. They liked the house. It's just it was a little bit small for them. And it's just real estate right now so hard because I mean, things were just priced so high. And I'm just that's that's what I say a lot of times kind of makes me a bad realtor because Mm -hmm. I'm too honest and I'm too like, I'm not going to push someone into buying something and I'm not going to tell them it's a fantastic deal and they need to jump on it or there's people lined around the corner if I don't think it is. And so I just am not that person. Like I couldn't go to sleep if I like talked someone into buying a house and I saw a bunch of things wrong with it. Right. And I think that in the long run, like, you know, you have another income. So like you get the ability to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I explain it to my clients. I'm like, I have more of freedom. And then like, as far as commission goes, even like I would be willing to cut my commission to make sure that my buyers got, a better deal or my sellers profited more, you know? Um, And I have that ability to do just because it isn't my primary income. So yeah, it makes it nice for that. And, and it's a nice personable aspect. I enjoy meeting people and talking to people. And I mean, that's, I always tell people buying a house is like one of your largest financial investments you'll probably have in most people's cases. And to know that I get to help out with that is pretty awesome. Right. Exactly. Well, redirecting to your kids, can you tell me what got you interested in foster care? Were you looking to have children in any way or was like fostering something you always knew was in the cards for you? Yeah. So I didn't actually think fostering was the route that I wanted to go. I just, I don't know why I just, I guess, and I even have admitted it to this day and I will admit it. Like when I first started into fostering, like I had the question, which maybe, you know, I always when I'm saying it, I'm like, I don't think I'm a bad person, but like, I always had this feeling like, can I love someone else's kids? Mm-hmm. Like, my, you know, like if they're mm-hmm. not mine, like it was just a question because you just don't know. Sure. And I mean, with my boys, like day one, like I still remember when they came at 10 5 PM at night to the house and they came in and I just saw them for the first time. Like I instantly loved them and I instantly knew that they were my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I, And I, mm-hmm. I told Jesse from that first day, I was like, I'm going to fight to the end. But redirecting back to your actual question. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't think fostering was, we actually, so Jesse and I, obviously two males, same sex couple. Uh, it was kind of like not an easy option for us, obviously. Um, but we were fortunate enough to have like really fantastic, like we had three fantastic friends that actually kind of wanted to grow their family, but they weren't in a relationship. And so they actually Mm -hmm. were willing to try, um, with us. So we did try to have, um, like our own, uh, with three different, uh, surrogates, and um, it just didn't happen for us. And then, of course, I questioned, I'm like, okay, is God, like, do I not, should I not have kids? Or what is the, like, right. what's the thing here? And then I'm like, no. So it took a couple years after that, we kind of just sat back. And then finally, I was just like, I feel like I need this. Like, I need to be a parent. Like, I, my nephews, they, you know, I was involved with them a lot. And then just watching them grow. And I, I just kind of, we both always felt like we were just kind of missing something. So then we decided to look into that. But Mm -hmm. my biggest reservation with fostering was like, I just don't know how I can, I don't know how I can just like automatically love these kids and then the chance for them to go somewhere, go back. So we had a lot of reservation and like moving forward with the fostering process just because of that barrier. Cause I just had this fear that my attachment would overcome like the best interest of the kids because obviously adoption is not always the best interest in some cases, but when you have those kids in your house and, and you love them and, and you, you know, they, they start to trust you and then they open up to you and then you learn even more things and they're sad, scary, Mm -hmm. heartbreaking things. And then 
the state decides something different for them, like to go back to that environment, like that's mind blowing to me, you know, and I, I still have a hard time with that in a lot of cases, but with our voice, you know, we were fortunate and they were just meant to be for us. You know, we didn't have a lot of hurdles and it was about a two year process, but it was just kind of a legality thing for us. So we lucked out. We didn't have a lot of visits and such. So it was just, it was just that what, what God meant for us to be. So. Right. Exactly. This yep. is what it was meant to be. Well, before we go any further, could you tell me your boys names and ages really quick? Yeah. So our youngest is Arian, um, and they're all, all their last names, Henry now, and it's Arian and he is four. And then there's Ryland and he is six. And then Gatlin is seven and he'll be eight actually in a, a month from tomorrow. And then, um, Isaac is our oldest and he's 13. Okay. Gotcha. Were the boys your first kids or did you have some other foster kids before them? Yeah, so we had um, two foster kids before them. Um, one we had, his name was Trent. He was the little a little boy we had right before our boys. And he he was placed with us for just like three days because like we knew it wasn't going to be long term. He just wasn't like, mm-hmm. a, he was, I, this is hard to, because he wasn't like, it wasn't that he wasn't a fit for us. It's just that Trent um, mm-hmm. required a little bit of additional care. Gotcha. And I just wasn't sure that we could do that, which I, I questioned it after the fact because he was there four days. And in that four days, I mean, I had his medications finally straightened out. Like he actually needed to have medications. I had a lot of evaluations done for him. Like, I feel like I did a lot of growth for him. Yeah. And then, um, obviously then he, they found placement for him and I was like, no, like, like, is she sure? Like, you know, I, I had a big binder made up. I mean, it was four days. Right. But like I dedicated 24 seven of my four days to helping him because I just saw where he wasn't getting the things that he needed and he wasn't having the assessments he needed to properly care for him and everything. And so I just invested everything I could into him because ultimately I wanted the best for him. Right. But then after I did that and then they found placement, like was a school teacher and um, you know, so I thought, okay, she'll have the, you know, she'll have more of the patience. She'll know, she'll be more educated than I to know how to do this. And so I did this big binder up for her though. And I was like, look, like you need to make sure you understand because we weren't given all the information mm-hmm. and I want to make sure you are, because I want to make right. sure that, you know, he's the right fit. And, um, so I did all this, I set all these appointments up and I don't think that she ended up having him stay with her very long, which was kind of upsetting to me. And that's how the whole foster world goes. And I told them if it didn't work out, please to call me back. And, you know, he definitely could come back to our home. And so I don't know, that was a struggle for me. So yeah, long, long story. I ramble, sorry, but um, he, it was an eye opener for me, right? It was a definite eye opener for me and Jesse, because we, something we didn't think we could do. You just, do you just do it like when it comes down to the the kids it's whatever's the best for them and like something that I didn't think I could handle I just did I just Mm -hmm. dropped everything and did it right like because it's what he needed and I knew he needed it and I could see it and so I made it happen and um I did make sure that the state like followed through with his appointments and everything but then past that that's kind of the hard thing too with foster care is like because once you're not in the picture you don't you're get, not in the picture yeah. like you right. can't get the information you can't see it through and so I struggled we we went like uh, about three or four months before we decided we'd take placement again just because I really had a struggle with that so right. 
I don't know but, if mom, um, I don't know if mom ever told you, but before Kimmy and Nathan, we had these two kids. I think they were around one and a half and like three years old, and we only had them for three days. Uh-huh. And you know, it's obviously hard for anyone, like even grown adults. But I was like eleven or twelve, I think, and um, I was just like so distraught. You know, I was like, how do I know they're being cared yeah. for? And I think they were going yeah. back to the family members. So I was like, well, they just got taken away. Why are they being brought back? You know, mm-hmm. and so. But then, you know, mom got called the same day for Kimmy and Nathan and she turned it down, was like, my daughter like needs a beat. And then luckily they called back a month later for Nathan. And then, and, you know, we ended up taking them both. And so, you know, God just, you know, knows what you want, uh, mm-hmm. knows what you need. He does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause then, and we had our, so before then we had Hunter and he was the first little boy that was placed with us. And we said, we've laughed, we, we have laughed though, because Hunter was four, Trent was four, and then our youngest, Arian, he was only two, but Ryland was four. So we had, you know, we always, it was always like, we were meant to have a four-year-old, but um, but Hunter was, he was placed with us and it was like so overwhelmingly excited. Like he was just a perfect little boy and, you know, like instantly we connected with him and he was great and we took him fishing and he took him out on the boat and he loved everything about that. But again, it was short-lived. It was three days. Right. And in three days, like his grandmother, he was taken, he, he was taken into custody of the mm-hmm. state because um, he was found wandering the streets oh. and it was because he actually ran away from his grandma and grandpa that had custody of him okay. because of his grandpa being abusive. Okay. Well, so then he was brought to us. So in that three days, we realized like that the grandma, because I, within 24 hours of intake, you have to like take the kids to their primary care doctor, take them to the dentist, all right. that, like, you know. Right. And um, so when I took him to the doctor the very next day to the pediatrician, Dr. Daly, like, and she was doing her assessment. I mean, he had like vivid burns on him, cigarette oh. burns, like on his chest, on his arms, like mm-hmm. she confirmed. And then she, th- there was even like historical scarring from that. And she confirmed that the scarring was from that. So mm-hmm. instantly like this anger comes over mm-hmm. you, right? Like to think that someone could do this to this perfect little boy, like mm-hmm. what in God's name, like, how is this even happening? Blah, blah, blah. And then like I try to relay that to the social workers and then they don't, they can't take it from right. me. Right. Because I'm just a foster parent. So I don't have any legal bearing. So even though I'm the one caring and I'm the one that they trust and I'm the one that they start opening up to, it's like, you're no voice at all. You cannot be a voice for your kids, which yeah. is so it's scary, so sad to me in every, yeah. in every way. But anyhow, so three days is all he was with us. And on that third day, I got a call from our caseworker and she said, well, actually, we're going to go ahead and place him back with grandma and grandpa. And we're going to watch him really, really close, though. And I'm like, I literally almost had a breakdown. Like, I'm pretty I I was screaming at the worker for sure. Like, because I'm like, how is this even possible? Like, I have confirmed abuse that he has went through Mm -hmm. and you're telling me you're going to send this poor little boy back that was so terrified that he ran away in the middle of the night at four years old right and you're telling me you're going to send him back and you're just going to watch him closely Mm. and that's what happened and then he was and he was literally just gone and we never heard anything more about him like we tried we asked yeah and we got no information. So, I mean, between Hunter and then Trent right after that, like, it was a, it was like, oh my gosh. So right. we left and went to the beach. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> and uh, so we were gone and then we came back and cause we had to just regroup. Like we had to be like, man, is this, can we handle this? Can we actually be, right? like, mentally handle it? So, right. yep. That's crazy. That's so heartbreaking. 
and you know like you hear stories about that all the time yeah. and that's i feel like some of the people some people's like biggest reserves you know about thinking about fostering mm-hmm. yes absolutely it is it just and it is it's hard and i understand it's hard for the workers as well because they are limited but it's just like in the case that a foster parent has such little voice like that's the most disheartening thing to me like I understand because because social workers are so limited, right? And like our worker, she, our state worker, she maybe came like every other week in the beginning. And then after three months, she really didn't come nearly as frequent, which like I kind of understood just because like yeah. she knew the boys were safe. She knew they were loved. She yeah. knew this was a permanent, you know what I'm saying? So I'm okay with that. But in the same sense, in cases where they aren't able to get around and they need to, and they don't get the information they need to, the foster parents need to be able to have a voice in the court system. Yeah, I like agree. it really needs changed. I, I mean, agree. I mean, I don't know how, and that's what I like asked our worker to look into after our, our adoption was final and everything. I'm like, is there like advocacy programs or is there somewhere that I can like help out or be a voice to promote like mm-hmm. a change in the court system and she's like well I'm sure there is and she said she's going to look into it which she hasn't really got me anything but I know she's busy right. but there just has to be something out there like you know like all of these things we get all the time right about our student loans that well, have signed this petition to get it paid for yeah. <laughs> like yeah. where's the petition to like for foster parents to have a voice I know and that was like a big focus when I was thinking about what I wanted to do my podcasting project on Uh I was like what is going to be like near and dear to me something that I'm like you know directly involved or like related to something that I really care about and so when I thought about foster care and then one of my big points like that I'm gonna like do at the end of like each episode is either like a charity or like uh oh what is it like you know resources that people can look into or fund for like helping change Mm -hmm. things that need to be changed in the system like donating to places that actually give their funds directly to like either foster families or like to the kids you know because i feel like there's a big disconnect when it comes to the priority being on the children and i feel like a lot of the times but yeah not being on the on the kids yeah yeah i do which sucks yeah it's crazy it really is and i don't know it's it's just sad to me that, like, that's what I fought, and I did, I, I'll, I'll say I fought with, because I kind of did, but I just fought with the courts, like, in in the state, basically, because I'm like, why? Why do we mm-hmm. continue to give these parents chances? Like, why, like, I'm gonna, because this is, this is what matters, because me or, you know, you or I, right, like, you, me, Jesse, whoever, anyone that's a good citizen in the world, right? Like that's expected Mm -hmm. to do good things. We're just expected to be good. So if we do something wrong, that one time we do something wrong, our life's ruined, Exactly. right? Like we are so harshly, it comes down so bad on us if we make one little mistake in life that it ruins Mm -hmm. so much because we have so much to lose. But yet people who don't have anything to lose and who have continuously made mistakes and who are expected to make the mistakes, we just give them more chances. Right. We just mm-hmm. keep giving them more chances, more chances. Yeah. Like it not is... even it, like it doesn't even just it's not even just giving them more chances. It's giving it's not giving their child yeah. a chance to exactly. grow or like yeah. have the things yeah. that they need to survive. Yeah. Hi, baby. You give me a hug. So sad. You want to say hi? Say hi. 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 And say your name. Aaron Henry. Aaron Henry. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> yeah, he can't pronounce Aaron really, so, but he says he says his name is Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, close enough, close enough. Yeah, yeah. 
Say hi. Tell them your name. Hi. What's your name? Ryland. Ryland. Hi, Ryland. <laughs> Her voices are so sweet. Oh, they are. They're just, everything about them is just the sweetest. <laughs> they're they're I amazing. Love that. I literally remember Nathan being the sweetest little thing. And now, of course, he's 12. And so all he lives to be annoying. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's how Isaac, like, he loves to annoy his brothers. And yeah. if, he, if it's like, if he steps away from the PlayStation... It's like because I make him, then right. he just thinks that oh, I'll just tor- ter- terrorize his brothers, oh, and exactly. then I'll get to go back to the PlayStation. So, yeah, you guys. <laughs> so, can you talk about like a little bit about your experience specifically with the boys, like when they came to you, like the experience from the beginning until now? Yeah. Yep. So, um, when they first came to us, actually, so when they showed up that night, they came and uh, Arian, the baby, all he had on was a diaper. Nothing else. No shoes. Nothing. Uh, Ryland had a pair of shorts on that he literally had to hold up to his chest because they were just so big, didn't fit him. But no underwear, no anything. Gatlin actually showed up in a pull-up, which is our third oldest. So at the time, he was five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Isaac showed up in a pair of like women's stretchy, skull-covered leggings. <laughs> and that's what they showed up in. Like, had nothing... I remember their hair was so long, hadn't really been cut. Isaac uh, had really long hair, our oldest, and it was like colored pink at one point. But at this point now, it's just like dirty orangish pale, right? Right. <laughs> um, so we finally, I, you know, I was like, we got to like, we introduced ourselves to the kids, sat on the couch for a little bit. Um, just because obviously they're scared. It's a whole new mm-hmm. environment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and then finally we we're like, okay, well, let's grab a bath and then we'll get you guys ready to go to bed and you can go to bed for the night. I remember like we were giving the boys, the younger boys a bath and, um, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And, um, they, like I was washing the boys hair and all of a sudden I'm like, Jesse, like, I think that there's like lice or something. And there was, they had lice in their hair so bad, like so big, like fly sight. Like I didn't even realize lice could get this mm-hmm. big. And like, they couldn't even like, they weren't even itching their head, like because they had had it for so long. Like, I think they actually literally became used to it. Oh. So like, obviously that's, that was like Man. the first heartbreaking of everything. And so they all had that. I tried for like two days to get the lice to go away and I couldn't. And finally I just had to cut their hair. Like I tried, I cut it two different times. Cause like I was trying to save some of their hair, and not shave all of it off. Right. Like, but I eventually just had to, because I just, there was no way to get rid of it. So, um, but anyhow, so mm-hmm. after we gave them their bath and got them ready for bed, like I put them all in their bed and I put them in separate beds. Like Ariana, I put them in like the crib bed and then Rylan and Gatlin were sharing a bed, and then Isaac had another bed. Well, then, like, after they went to bed, and I was downstairs, and obviously we take a big breather, because now it's, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, they came so late already. Um, we had nothing, really, for them, because we didn't we didn't prepare ahead of time, because it's like, how do you even prepare, right? You don't know what age kids are getting. You don't know any of this. Right. So I didn't just want to have a bunch of stuff packed around everywhere, you know, in all different sizes, because you just didn't know. So, um, I knew the next morning I'd get it, but anyhow, so we go downstairs and we like take a breather, like, Oh, like, man, this is just a lot, you know? And then I listen and I like hear, and I hear like the footsteps upstairs. Well, then I go upstairs and I look and in Isaac's room where, well, the room Isaac was sleeping in, like when I opened the door and I walked in, all four boys were in the same bed, like 
huddled together, holding each other. And like, I just remember, like, I was like, I, I was worried that they thought that I was like trying to separate them, yeah. which again, like they didn't think that. And I don't think they did anyway. So, but that's, that was their protection. Like yeah. that's all they ever had mm-hmm. was each other. And so they slept in the same bed together, you know, their whole lives. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. They just piled in their bed and they lay long ways. And like, still, still to this day, I noticed that's one thing, like the boys all use their own beds now. Yeah. But they still sleep sideways. They will go to bed. They'll go to bed laying with their head on the pillow. But in the morning when I go in to get them up for school or whatever, they're laying long ways in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but let me like reverse back. So before they came, we got the call and we were only approved for two foster kids. Okay. Just because like our house was three bedroom. And then two was just kind of our number, like bed wise set up and everything, you know. Right. Because every kid has to have their own room and or bed i forget this exact maybe you can have like um, if they're different sex like they definitely like yeah different sex they have to have different rooms then they can have up to like three in a room but but they all have to have a bed or something like that i knew there was some type of regulation but so anyhow we were set up for two well they called us and they're like we have the perfect placement for you you know we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old little boy that we think will place with you it's actually a sibling group of four but we think the younger two would be a great fit for you guys and i'm like well like what are you going to do with the other two boys then and they're like well we just don't have a family that can accommodate all four and i was like well okay i'm just telling you like i know we're only approved for two but i'm not splitting them up like if you're placing them with us then we're taking all four boys because i can't i'm not going to be the person that's all they've ever known is each other and we're not going to be the ones to split them up And so I said, I might call you next week and say, look, this isn't working out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't do four kids. But um, I said, I have to give it a shot for them. Right. And obviously, so then, you know, fast forward back to the, the path we were on, but we just jumped in and did it. Yeah. Like that night they got there, we jumped in it. We jumped in a routine. We got them their baths, got them cleaned up. The next morning I woke up, I got the boys, um, I called, made all their appointments for their doctors, a visit, which was the following day. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that after I made all their appointments, we got in the car, went to the store, we bought everything we possibly could. And like I could possibly think of that we would need at the time, mm-hmm. uh, called the schools, got them registered in school because Isaac, he actually come to find out he had a truancy officer because he had only attended like 43 days mm-hmm. in three school years, like mm-hmm. third, fourth and fifth grade. Wow. So that was a whole nother hurdle I had to jump through and had to get all the kids shots done because the younger three hadn't even had shots. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't even be enrolled in school. Mm -hmm. So I got all their shots done. So we had to get all that taken, taken in. But I mean, just instantly the amount of love that I felt for the boys and same for Jesse, the way he felt, I mean, right after getting them, like I just knew, I really, really, really just knew like that they were my kids and That was before I even knew anything. I mean, you just, I saw them, I loved them. I knew I was going to love them and I was going to fight for every inch of them. So. Right. Was there any point in time where it was a question of, if not from you, but from, you know, a court state standpoint, um, if they were going to be sent somewhere else or sent back to the family? Yeah. So we had to have a visit. So the grandma, um, she lived with the kids and the grandma was saying that she was going to try to get the kids back, which I had a whole nother fight with the state about that because I'm like, she lived in the filth. She lived in the drugs. She lived in the abuse. She was there. 
Like, right. yes, maybe she tried, she thought being there and her presence was a protection to them, but it was not. And right. so I had this huge fight about that. Like, I was like, she needs to be facing the same charges. She was yeah. there. She's an adult and she didn't stop any of it. Right. So, but we had two visits with her. Those visits that were supposed to be an hour ended up lasting. The one lasted 23 minutes and the other lasted 34 minutes. And each time mm -hmm. the worker that was mediating the visits, because they were supervised, mm -hmm. um, he had to call me and say, can you maybe come back and see if you can calm the kids down? Because she's just really not able to control them and they're kind of getting out of hand. Right. Um, excuse me? Like right. she's trying to get the kids back and she can't handle yeah. an hour with them. Right. Like how is like, what, what are we even considering here? How is this even a thing? And like, that was my thing too. I said, I just wanted to talk to her. I wanted to talk to her because I wanted to say this. I wanted to say, I get it. You're their grandma. And I can't imagine how it must feel thinking that you won't get to see them again. Mm -hmm. And like, but it's not her job. Like it is a lot. It is a lot for Jesse and I. Four kids right. is just a lot, okay? And it doesn't make her a bad person. She's one. She's one person. She's right. trying to survive on her own. And, you know, she's the grandma. And so, like, I just wanted to talk to her and be like, I don't have, you know, it, it doesn't make you a bad person for wanting them to be loved and wanting them to have a family. And if it right. had she talked to me or had she asked, like, we may have even let her try to visit the kids or something. but. Yeah she had no interest in even reaching out, you know, but I was willing to do that in the sense that like, I'm not trying to make her feel like a worse person than the whole situation is in right. itself. It's just the fact that she needs to do what's right for them now because they have a chance. And mm. I wanted her to see that and realize it, you know? Right, exactly. So, but that was really the only person who tried. There was no other kinship that had, a, you know, came out right. of, you know, cousins, uncles, aunts, none of that. Their dad's incarcerated. <clears throat> the mom, she never could complete any of her, trial program she never mm -hmm. tried you know the one time I saw her I went to court it was her termination hearing mm -hmm. and you know she tried to sit on the stand and cry and say that she missed her kids and this was after mm -hmm. you know we really had information on the abuse and documented with right. the therapist and everything so of course I'm sitting in the back of the courtroom and our case or our caseworkers holding my hand being like please just don't say anything don't say anything because she right. knew like that I was already on edge like don't get up there and try to play this off like you're mm -hmm. the victim up there like okay. it was just agitating me but then once she knew she wasn't getting her way and they said well you're terminated she leaned over and she grabbed her purse and she sat it in her lap and she said what well, can I go now <sighs> and that was it and I just I, I cried I cried and I didn't cry I didn't cry because I obviously was sad for her like right but I cried mm -hmm. because I was sad for my boys and the fact right. that you know I tried the whole being a supportive foster parent in the beginning. Like I did, mm -hmm. I tried to be like, you know, maybe they'll do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. But when your kids look at you and tell you like that they never were loved and when you tell them you love them like day two, you know, or day one, even I think I told them I loved them when I put them to bed mm -hmm. and I look at them and they tell me that they don't know what that means. Oh. Or they finally, like after six months, look at you and are like, my parents never loved me. Like, because they just know now what love is, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so I was not going to be, I was not going to lie to my kids and say, but I tried in the beginning. I even looked at, at Rylan and Gatlin when they were crying and saying like that, that nobody ever loved them, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I have, Jesse and I have had you boys in our life for 
maybe two months at that point or whatever it was, I said, I said, and we love you. I said, we love you so much. And you are our whole world. I said, and she got to have you for the whole beginning of your life. I said, so Mm -hmm. something, she has to love you in some way, you know, like some way she has to. And I tried to keep the belief of that up until that termination hearing. And when I looked at that stone cold person and Mm -hmm. she looked bothered because you know she was being inconvenienced to be in court and they terminated her rights and she was ready to go i thought to myself my god this woman never did she couldn't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what i'm i i I just it's so heartbreaking to me that to think that a parent could actually just not love them like i don't know it breaks my heart yeah well i'm so glad that they're with you all now oh yeah we're so lucky they're just they're the best ever that's what everyone always says like the people will be like, oh, you know, the boys are so lucky to have you. And like, the first thing we say is just like, no, we are lucky to have them. Like, mm-hmm. they have just, they have made our whole life matter. Like, you know, right. you can right. see past us even now into them. That's what I think right. the biggest thing is. Like, I can even mm-hmm. see past my life because I have their life and their yeah. life will go beyond my life. And, you know, exactly. So. That's what my mom tells me all the time. She was like, you'll never, because, you know, as kids do, defy your parents and fight with them, you know, all of that. She was like, you'll never understand, like, how much I love you or, you know, how much I, like, give up and sacrifice for you. And not even, and I'm not, like, she never tries to, like, guilt me. But, you know, it's just, like, that's all that matters. Yep. It really Mm -hmm. is. It is. And I even remember being a kid and I thought the same thing, you know, you right. think your parents are crazy, right? Like everything right. they say isn't, it's not right. until you grow up and then you're like, dang, they were right about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was adoption with the boys the plan all along or actually just in general, when you started fostering, was adoption the plan or did you think you were just going to like help? No, yeah, it was definitely always the goal for us was adoption. So permanency is definitely what we wanted. And in the beginning, I kind of was like, I kind of was like, Oh, I, th- I think the only way I can do this is if I know like the kids are eligible for adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Like I thought, I thought I could stipulate that, which I could have. However, yeah. that's just never the case in foster right. care, you know, because right. obviously reunification is always the thing. But yeah. yeah, so ultimately, that was always my goal. And Jesse's goal both was because we were wanting to grow our family and, exactly. um, you know, have our kids be our kids forever. So, yep. What would you say to anyone thinking about foster care? Oh, I don't know. So many things, right? (laughs) But I don't know. I would just say that you just, you have to prepare yourself for, you just have to prepare yourself for being there to protect them and being a voice for them without being the voice because, Mm -hmm. which maybe that doesn't make sense, but like, I know that I couldn't be a direct voice in court, but I know in, in the workers also that had dealings with us knew if they didn't get the true voice that I wanted them to get across, I would continue. I would continue to call them. I would continue to relay the information. I would continue to make sure that they were getting the point across as to what the boys actually were going through and what their life was like. Like, right. so just, just be prepared to fight, fight their battle. I mean, fight their battle just as if they're your own kid, just know even though you're not the direct voice, you still have to be the voice for them mm-hmm. because that's what they need ultimately. They just, right. that's it. I mean, yeah. but I, I mean, definitely anyone who's thinking of growing their family, I mean, fostering is definitely the way to go. I mean, and like right. I had said in the beginning of our conversation, and like I said in the beginning of this whole thing, like I just didn't know if I could do it right because 
they weren't my kids. Like, am I going to be able to, and, and yes, you absolutely, a child, Mm -hmm. like you just love them. I mean, it's just, there's no question. I mean, every encounter we had, you know, as a parenting figure, when you put yourself and you're put into a parenting figure, they just are immediately yours and you have that Mm -hmm. protecting love for them, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, but fostering is just, it is very rewarding. And I know some people question the same way that I questioned it, but there are just so many kids that just need loved. Oh, you know, so many. I mean, so many. that's all it is when they finally feel loved and feel like, like they're wanted and they belong and like the, that their, their opportunities are endless, which is how a child should feel, right? Like mm-hmm. a child should feel like mm-hmm. anything they want to do, they have the support and the love to do it. And if you just yeah. can show a child that, I mean, the change that you can see in them is unbelievable. Right. I agree. So. Okay, if you had the power to change your biggest issue within the system, what would that issue be? That would be the foster parents being the voice. So being mm-hmm. <laughs> being able to be caught up on the stand and be questioned about the children and things mm-hmm. that they've went through and things that we've experienced personally because even their counselor, I mean, and it got to the point where like they were kind of just telling the counselor like, what she wanted to hear you know what right. I'm saying like the first right. few it was kind of like they didn't say a lot but then after the fact then they'd kind of answer how she wanted them to I mean they're kids right they can read right. people they can read what they're supposed to do and so I feel like they kind of hit a block at some point where they didn't open up to her up about as many things mm-hmm. and obviously then you know I would sit down with her before some of their counseling sessions and I'd kind of talk about things that maybe they brought up that week before or something like that that way she could kind of have something to go off of and it did right. help the kids start opening up more about it right but like if us as foster parents could be a voice in the court system and could stand on that stand and could actually tell the court system what those children have went through Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be able to, we would be able to protect the kids so much more. I agree. I think it would make all the difference in the world. Yeah, it would. Because I mean, and then it takes it back to like, I mean, if, yes, if someone decides now we're going to make a change and go back and make things right, you cannot make things right. When yeah. you have traumatized a child, like you've traumatized them. Right. Like whether you go through it the next time and decide that you're going to, you're going to do the classes and you're going to become a better parent. That kid is never going to forget that. I mean, I had the most amazing parents in the world. They gave me everything. They spoiled me Mm -hmm. when I definitely shouldn't have been like, they are fantastic role models, but I'll be honest now as an adult, I can remember the times that I was like in trouble or, Mm -hmm. or they were mad at me. Or I was maybe even got spanked, which I deserved or whatever. It wasn't as bad spanking, right? Like when, but I remember that more than a lot of the other things because that's a kid's mind, you know, that's something that traumatizes into their brain. So for foster kids, like, and when they do get reunited with the parents, which I mean, yes, people can change. I'd absolutely believe that, but that kid is never going to forget that. Right. So we need to look at the level of trauma they've been through before we look at reunification is kind of my, my, my end game there. You know, I mean, we need to look at the level and the severity of trauma because some trauma just can't be reversed, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, if I could change something, that's what it would be. It would be just being able to actually depict what the children have went through more than just through a third party worker that's occasionally talked to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Going forward, now you have four kids. Yes. <laughs> would you ever consider 
continuing fostering like at some point like when the kids are older yeah so july 11th was our adoption finalized right so what three months ago Mm -hmm. and um i'll just be honest twice i've i've texted our worker and been like i think i want a little girl like i think i need you to (laughs) put us back on the list and then we sit back and we think about it and then we talk about it more and it's like oh i don't know so we haven't actually reopened because we did close after our adoption so we haven't but i definitely still have that feeling um that maybe somewhere but, in the future it could be possible. Yeah, and it would probably be in the future, like yeah. after the kids got older. And not because, I mean, I think I could buckle, like I I, I think we could definitely, if it came down to it, we could have another yeah. child, absolutely. Yeah. But here's why I can't. I can't because even though Jesse and I, you know, both go in different directions and we do everything we possibly can with the kids, mm-hmm. I still feel like I have to limit my kids because we have four. Right. And not that they feel it at all, but like, because they get to do it. We, we make sure they do every sport, everything like that. But right. I still feel like there's sometimes where I have to be like, oh, well, Ryland, you have to miss a soccer practice tonight because mm-hmm. we just can't go in that direction, right? There's right. two other things we go. So it's like taking, like feeling like I have to pick and choose sometimes what they do and don't do. And I mm-hmm. feel like I'm limiting them. Right. I'm not, right? I mean, they're very pleased in everything they get to do. And if they miss a practice, they don't really worry about it as much right. as I do. But in my mind, I feel like I do, or even the homework thing, right? With four right. kids. I mean, right. when I feel like I can't sit down and de- dedicate as much cho- as much time to unspelling words with the one this week as the other, like I feel like as a parent, I'm holding them back. And right. Jesse and I, we do really good and the kids do fantastic, but that's my biggest thing why I don't think that another right. kid right, right now is right yeah. for us. But I do still feel that <laughs> want. But, yeah, and, the one. Yeah. For a little girl. I do want a little girl. I mean, I love my boys very, very, very much. They are probably easier. No offense. But (laughs) no, no, no. I I want boys. I I understand. Yes. 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 Well, I hope that definitely happens one day because, you know, if it's meant to be, it will be. So. Oh, absolutely. Yep. I just encourage so many people to be foster parents. I mean, because it is so rewarding and Mm -hmm. not that I was a parent before, obviously. So I don't have that to reference, but just the, the, the level of proudness I feel of them and mm-hmm. when I look at them every morning or everything they accomplish and right. every goal they score in soccer or when Isaac gets you know now he's starting offense and defense for football and just like the mm-hmm. level of proud like how proud he is makes me even more proud right. and when he comes home proud and wanting to tell me how to do something like it just <laughs> I don't know it just makes me I couldn't yeah. imagine another feeling like it is being a parent and right. foster care gave me that and so I would just encourage anyone thinking about it to definitely look into it because there's right. so many kids that just need love. So They do. I agree. Yep. I want to thank Ryan so much for speaking with me today and sharing his experience about how his family of six came to be. If you want to know more about Ryan, I put some extra information in the description. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at Foster Hope Podcast and Foster Hope on Facebook. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. Do something kind for someone this week. See ya. See ya.